Hi, I'm David Freudberg. Each week at the Humankind on Public Radio podcast, we strive to practice the simple art of listening. At times, it can feel like a lost art in our noisy world. And of course, not everything is worth listening to. But for me, when I'm able to get centered, listening can be almost a sacred experience, a moment of focused attention that accords the speaker a measure of dignity. If you value this too, please help others to find our podcast. Consider going to Humankind on Public Radio at iTunes and leave us a kind review. And thanks for listening. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston. This special documentary project, The Search for Well-Being, is supported by the Michelle and David Middleman Family Foundation and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. I hate to say it, but my bubble has been a little bit burst in terms of lots of us come to med school with a I'm going to save the world mentality. I'm going to make all of my patients the most healthy patients possible and you don't see a ton of that unfortunately in in your practice as a med student. The stressful life of medical students, their concerns about health care and their vision for ways to improve it. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Applying to medical school is intensely competitive, and those who clear the hurdles to get in are often regarded as academia's cream of the crop. But after they're admitted, studying to be a doctor is notoriously grueling and exhausting. And one place where students work off some of that tension is here amid the banks of treadmills and ellipticals in the Recreation Center at Ohio State University in Columbus, the nation's third largest college campus. It must be pretty stressful to be in your first year of medical school. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I don't know what else to say except yes. And so is it hard to break away from your studies to be able to come in here and work out, you know, a few times a week? For me, it's not because this kind of keeps me sane. I, if I haven't worked out for um, a few days or a week, I definitely start to feel like I'm going a little crazy. Suman Gupta, originally from San Diego, is a member of the student wellness team, which aims to keep people healthy while they study health at the Ohio State College of Medicine. Students must climb a mountain of memorization, covering the science of cells and tissues and endless details about gross anatomy, the nervous system, and how our organs function. But some advocates of medical reform feel that doctors in the past were inadequately trained for the actual health conditions that physicians face in 21st century America. I had no idea of what to do outside of either surgery, writing prescriptions, or radiation therapy. Physician Brian Berman is professor of family medicine at the University of Maryland in Baltimore. I didn't know of any other options uh, for people that, that could be done, and I, and I certainly wasn't taught anything in medical school or even in my residency training about things like diet to nutrition, management of stress, 
I was under stress myself going through the, uh, the process, um, or, or any other options of, of self-care that are, we know is so critically important. Dr. Berman is part of a fascinating new movement to reframe the way future physicians are trained. It aims to define the practice of medicine as treating the whole person, mind, body, and spirit, to emphasize prevention, not just the management of disease, and to humanize health care, which is currently dominated by technology, drug prescriptions, and hurried visits with the doctor. At the University of Arizona College of Medicine in Tucson, Dr. Victoria Mazes has embraced this new integrative approach to health care. She developed an acclaimed 1,000-hour curriculum for doctors and other medical providers. Initially, we used to call it the education you didn't get in medical school. Uh, so we focus on nutrition. We focus on mind-body interactions. We focus on spirituality. We teach about whole systems of medicine, so whether that's traditional Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, homeopathy. Uh, we teach them how to teach their patients to meditate, to use breathing exercises, to use guided imagery as tools to manage stress. Um, So there's a a whole broad curriculum of things that are ordinarily not taught in Western medical school, although things are changing a bit. But reformers complain that change is exceedingly slow. One of the most glaring gaps in mainstream medical education is the teaching of nutrition. Even in a society rife with diet-related illness, from heart disease to diabetes to widespread obesity, nutrition education remains curiously marginalized in medical school. Only about a fourth of medical schools even have a full course on nutrition. In fact, one recent study showed that the modest amount of med school time devoted to nutrition has on average declined in recent years. Dr. Victoria Mazes. I think it's a great mystery. (laughs) There is such good evidence, especially in cardiovascular disease and in cancer. And it is true that the amount of time allocated has indeed gone down. And that's in med school. In residency, which is when people really learn how to practice as physicians, The Residency Review Committee, which is the group that sets the requirements, there were zero hours for internal medicine physicians. There were zero hours for pediatricians. There were zero hours for cardiologists, even though cardiac disease is the leading cause of illness in the United States. Um, And we know that you could greatly reduce the likelihood of someone dying if you recommend the Mediterranean diet, but you have to know what that is. The Mediterranean diet is a heart-healthy eating plan recommended by the Mayo Clinic, among many others. It suggests that we base all our meals around vegetables, fruits, grains, and beans, cook with olive oil, and moderate our intake of animal products and sweets, the way many people eat in the Mediterranean countries. But it's not the standard diet in America. It's true that a lot of us med students, when the going gets tough, and even when the going is easy, are just stopping over to the Wendy's in the basement of the hospital for our meals, you know, so... um, Anything that can help us more easily cook nutritious meals and and fun meals, I think, would be worthwhile. That's Andy Melarano at Ohio State University's Medical College. He's a student leader of an elective class in cooking. 
Learning how to prepare healthy meals is a tangible way to put nutrition on the front burner for future doctors. But this is one of only a handful of cooking courses at medical schools in the U.S. On a recent evening, 15 students came to a kitchen classroom to prepare dinner and learn cooking tips from chef Laura Robertson Boyd. When we make things from scratch, we know what goes into our food, plain and simple, right? You can control the amount of salt, you can control the amount of sugar, you can control the amount of fat that goes into the things that you make from scratch. So, and that's what this is all about. Laura is executive chef at a Columbus-based grassroots organization called Local Matters, which educates residents about nutrition, cooking, and growing food. Has anybody bought fresh ginger root before? It smells nice. Do you want to pass it around? And, you know, it's got a papery skin on the outside, so we will um, use our paring knife to stabilize it on the cutting board and then peel this papery skin away. Those of you that have been in the class before, what do we do with our opposite hand? How do we hold that? In the claw, right? So that if your knife slips, it's not going to hit your fingers and cut yourself. It'll just bump into your knuckles, okay? Leslie Pillow, a first-year med student from Indianapolis. We don't get a big like block of nutrition in medical school, but it's one of the, um, I'm an interest in pediatrics, and one of the main things we try to do is teach them nutrition from a young age. But because we are so busy, we really don't practice that much in the nutrition as we teach. So I thought it was a good idea to learn some like quick methods of still being able to keep that nutrition, but keep on doing what I'm doing, having to keep up the hours of studying what I do. My budget isn't huge, so I can't afford to eat out. Fabrice Henry is also a first-year student. He has the build of a quarterback and is trying his hand at peeling a butternut squash. So it's really nice if I can make something at home and then bring it with me to class or to the library or wherever I'm working or studying. But it is hard to make time for, um, especially when we hit crunch times like around exams and I'm not home for most of the day. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a challenge. Today's healthy menu includes lentil soup, squash soup, whole wheat cornbread, and kale salad. Chef Laura. They meet once a week for two hours um, each lesson. It is all completely hands-on, so I don't do any of the cooking for them. I don't do any cooking demonstrations. I find, again, it's much more empowering when they're doing the cooking themselves and learning start to finish how to prepare these dishes. And are there occasional culinary fiascos? No, <laughs> not at all. For me, it's a very good uh, stress reliever. Student Kyle Jamison. As I'm studying medicine all day, um, it's nice to be able to forget about some of those things and to do something that's very simple and something that's uh, very fundamentally human of making something to eat and then, and then eating it. I feel like when I'm making something, I'm able to create something. Um, and it may not look beautiful or artistic or something like that, uh, but it feels that way when I'm eating it sometimes. So, Students learn not only kitchen techniques, but also practical principles of nutrition, partly compensating, in a sense, for limited nutrition content in their formal medical education. Right. Beans are a good source of protein. They're high in what other nutrient besides protein? Fiber, which is great. They're really cheap. It's usually about a dollar a bag, isn't it, for a bag of lentils? And when you cook a full bag of lentils, you have enough 
soup to feed all of you here in this classroom or lots and lots of leftovers. You know, this is my comfort food in the wintertime is lentil soup. So we're going the class was launched in 2011 when a student at OSU became frustrated at how little training in nutrition figured into med school. The chemistry of some foods was included in science lectures, but missing was how to translate this knowledge into advising medical patients. That's where the idea developed to teach future doctors how to cook. Chef Laura. I really like to approach teaching both cooking and nutrition as a practical life skill that these students need to learn, not only to be healthy in their own lives, but ideally, um, because we're working with medical school students, um, real-world cooking and nutrition information that they can take into their practices with them, because that's what their patients will need to know. And if they can practice that themselves in their own lives, it will be more convincing and uh, believable and for their patients as well. Listening to the Search for Well-Being, a Humankind special series. I'm David Freudberg. At our website, you can download a primer booklet describing common techniques of integrative health. You can access audio or obtain a CD of this program. You can also hear web-only excerpts of some of our interviews. For all of this, please visit humanmedia.org. Advocates of medical education reform point to a simple concept. Since over three-fourths of U.S. health care costs are related to the consequences of our lifestyle behaviors, future doctors and nurses need in-depth training about patient lifestyles. Not just diet, but whether we walk or stretch or work out enough to be fit, whether we have an effective way to calm down and recharge in times of high stress. And guess who must face these questions intimately? One of the interesting parts of med school is our lifestyles are the first thing to go. Louise Kane is a third-year medical student at Ohio State University. We don't get the sleep we need. We don't eat properly. Our activity levels drop. Um, and part of OSU's wellness team is trying to remedy that by giving us opportunities to do Things like yoga, work on our mental health, um, do meditation. And so as we are experiencing the opportunity to learn how to deal with our own shortcomings in lifestyle, um, that's something we're able to pass on to our patients. That's the hope, at least, for today's medical students, whose education is slowly starting to acknowledge the importance of personal behaviors in our health. But when these students graduate med school, they will run up against the real-world burdens of a highly stressed profession. First-year OSU student Suman Gupta. It really raises a red flag to me, you know, hearing the statistics of how physicians have some, uh, one of the highest suicide rates some, um, are among the highest drug abusers, are um, really prone to alcoholism. All of these things are sort of red flags if we're supposed to be the ambassadors of health. Um, that set, being said, I think we are starting to ask the right questions as far as, whoa, three-fourths of our diseases are caused by diet and lifestyle 
issues. Um, and I think we're at that point now is how do we change how we're affecting the public? And then that's where the second part of the picture comes in is our patients aren't expecting to come to the doctor and be told, oh, you need to change your diet, you need to exercise more. They're expecting some kind of medication most of the time. It may cause low blood sugar. Side effects may include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and feeling jittery. Call your doctor if you get severe abdominal pain or persistent vomiting, which could be signs of a serious I condition. think there also needs to be a change in public perception of you go to the doctor not only to get medication, but to get coached. Health coaching is one of the promising new ideas to surface in the field of integrative medicine. It recognizes that unhealthy lifestyle behaviors often resist change. Overcoming the blockage around choosing better foods to eat, for example, often takes time and personal support. Second-year med student Henry Yan. It's something that's very difficult to help your patient with. It takes a lot of time, and it's a lot of time invested at the beginning. You have to go over very, very detailed uh, summary of what your patient is eating, um, what are the things that he or she can improve on, how that they go about doing that. So it's an investment both by the patient and by the doctor in their health in the future. And I think as a country right now, we're just not ready to embrace something like that something with such a high initial cost. There are some provisions in the health care overhaul that may help address this, though. A new system called Accountable Care Organizations offers bonuses to some health care providers who meet quality benchmarks. These encourage referring patients who are overweight to see a counselor, because failing to intervene with patients early enough costs far more. Approximately one in three adults and one in six children are obese. Obesity is epidemic in the United States and a major cause of death attributable to heart disease, cancer, and diabetes. This video from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention points out that the current American pattern of eating more processed foods containing fewer healthy ingredients can be a hard habit to break medical student Liz Maxwell. Currently, I think that insurance companies, uh, um, you know, and, and the medical community are really coming around to the value of nutritional counseling and um, dietary counseling. And nutritionist uh, appointments are covered, but they're only covered for certain conditions. So we wait until somebody's, you know, extremely overweight, has high blood pressure, and diabetes, we wait until they have all these conditions, and then we say, you can have some nutritional counseling. And so as a physician, I should be able to say, this patient would benefit from nutritional counseling, and I shouldn't have to jump through hoops to get them that counseling. And that may fit into the team approach that's popular in integrative medicine. It uses a mix of health professionals, not just primary care docs who are increasingly in short supply. The team may include nurse practitioners who are qualified to perform many tasks physicians do, but also health coaches and in some settings, acupuncturists and instructors in yoga or meditation. And to promote team cohesiveness, some healthcare education is now interprofessional, with medical students, nursing students, and others taking classes together.
health care for the whole person tunes in to the mental, emotional, and spiritual forces that drive our personal choices and personal health. The patient who shows up for an appointment at the doctor's office cannot be reduced to measurements of vital signs or the lab results of blood samples. Human beings are far more subtle and complex, a truth that fascinates Ohio State med student Rob Rakovchik. I guess kind of wax and wane with my mood. Uh, earlier this year, I went with trying to do a much more plant-based diet, trying to take care of myself, and then um, kind of fell off the wagon and started eating a bunch of Cokes and candies and all that stuff. Um, so I readopted the typical American diet. Um, then last week, decided again to you know get back on the wagon. So it's been interesting for me, and this this happens with exercise too. Um, so I kind of look at myself as you know what is it that's going on in my head? Why am I um, you know not taking care of myself at times? And how can I um, you know use that as a teaching moment for myself? to carry forward to my patients and uh, try to keep it in mind so I can also relate to people who are struggling with that kind of stuff. And struggling with unhealthy behaviors seems to be intrinsic to the human condition. Physician Karen Lawson directs health coaching at the University of Minnesota's Center for Spirituality and Healing. We certainly know that there's um, addictive kinds of issues in our behaviors, even those things that we don't think about as addiction. You know, I mean, obviously we think about drugs and alcohol and cigarette smoking, but even addictions to things like playing video games, addictions to certain thinking patterns, um, negativity, for example, a, a pessimistic viewpoint, so that these patterns are like grooves in a record that are, are happening over and over again. And our brain actually chemically modifies itself so that um, it's difficult to change those things without long and repetitive and very intentional interventions to do that. And over time, I would say not over weeks, but over months to years. Support for that process in the form of integrative health coaching is increasingly offered at some hospitals and clinics, as well as corporations and educational institutions. In some cases, coaching services will be covered by the Affordable Care Act. Let's say I go in to see my coach because I'm feeling a little overwhelmed or burned out by too much work, which can't ever happen in this world. One of the things, a good, a good question a coach may ask me would be to help me take a look at what I'm doing in my hour by hour everyday life and asking where do I see my values being expressed or where do I see what's important to me in my everyday life and where am I doing things that are not feeling of value to me so that it makes me stop and look and makes me stop and reflect, you know, what's really feeding me and what's really depleting me and let somebody kind of help me, you know, dig around in the garden and see what surprises I can find and, and then really identify, oh, you know what, that one's a flower, I want to keep that one. Eh, that one's a weed, I'm not really happy about that. Maybe I can figure out how to get rid of that one. So it's a selective process that we just often don't take time to do in our lives, I think. The majority of U.S. medical schools now provide at least some instruction in integrative health care. This may feature greater focus on disease prevention, including nutrition, a grasp of the psychology and mechanics of lifestyle change, and stress management techniques like meditation and yoga. But many principles of integrative care remain outside the central focus of most medical education. Ohio State student Liz Maxwell. 
medical schools are under pressure to teach students to prepare them for their boards and to prepare them for the process of going into residencies. And so there is a disconnect, I think, between like the needs that the country has, like how are we gonna take care of everyone in this country and give them the health care that they need and they deserve and, and still train our professionals. And right now the training is sort of geared so that people can jump through these hoops and you know do well on their boards and get their residency and get their residency spot. You know, spot. And, um, and would some of these integrative medicine topics be incidental to what might be covered in the board exams? I think right now these are not part of the, um, the testing. The way that we measure success does not take into account what a medical student's knowledge is about prevention, and it's not really the focus of healthcare. And that's where we can, you know, sort of improve Western medicine is by um, getting better prevention. And, you know, if we're going to take care of everyone in this country and, and, you know, try to do a better job of it, because right now we're not doing a good job on on any metric, really, if you look at how much we spend versus the kind of health care that we receive, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm of the opinion that we need to figure out how to start preventing things. We need to start figuring out how we can get our country to be healthier from the beginning and not just patch up holes and try to put Band-Aids on every problem. Even with the rocky launch of President Obama's Affordable Care Act, the health care overhaul represents a turning point for America. How this new era will ultimately play out is hard to predict. I asked the future physicians studying at Ohio State what inspires them to enter medicine and what concerns them about the future. I was driven to medical school after spending a year a year as an EMT, and what that experience left me with was just a really profound feeling of how special it is to take care of somebody who needs help um, and how special the medical field really is. So getting back into that and doing something that gives me clinical experience really renews all of the, uh, all the passions that drove me to medicine in the first place. Before med school, I did summer research in Detroit, Michigan, um, reading primary care transcripts um, between patients and doctors. And one of the things that caught me was how physicians were pressed to get through the medical issues and sometimes sidestepped bigger issues. There's one case I remember of a woman just pouring her heart out of, um, oh, she had so many unfortunate circumstances with family deaths, difficult living situations, poverty, and the doctor, besides the fact that she was crying, just said, well, your blood pressure is kind of high. We need to talk about that. And... I told myself I would never be that physician. I would never be the person who sidesteps a complaint my patient is having. Um, but that is the world we live in, that there are certain things that we have to check off on our medical records now. And if it's not something we check off, we don't get paid for or we don't have time for it. This drive towards efficiency that is completely money driven we have to document everything so we become secretaries. We have to think about insurance and what our patients going to get reimbursed for. And we get more money if we choose certain procedures over others. So it's our livelihood too and how we're making money to support our families. Is that a conflict of interest? 
that is a conflict of interest, but it is a reality for every physician who hasn't sidestepped insurance. The turning point for me when the idea crystallized in my head that I needed to go into medicine was thinking about just when people have just life-consuming diseases that are just debilitating, it detracts from their ability to live up to their potential as human beings. There's so many things that we can accomplish, um, so much good that people can do in the world, but when they're held back by worrying about their health, I think it cuts out a lot of the good that they could be accomplishing. Rob Rakovchik, preceded by Suman Gupta, Louise Kane, and Henry Yan, students at the Ohio State University College of Medicine in Columbus. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg, studio recording by Antonio Oliart Rose. Editorial assistance from Mark Kilstein, David McDevitt, Susan Bauer Wu, Lisa Mullins, Thomas Royal, and Kathy Graham. Medical advisor, Dr. Leo Stolbach. Webmaster, Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Amber Beery, Eileen Mel, and Tony Buck. Our program is presented by Human Media in association with Connie Goldman Productions. Program development provided by Shart Media. To purchase a CD copy of this program, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. That's 1-800-5-L-I-S-T-E-N. Or visit our website where you can also obtain an audio download of this and our other programs and can hear selected episodes free. You can access free written materials related to this program as well. Our web address is humanmedia.org. Again, if you'd like to purchase a CD copy of Humankind by phone, please call 1-800-5-LISTEN. And our web address is humanmedia.org. And you can download our free primer booklet on integrative health at humanmedia.org. This segment, part three of the Search for Well-Being, is Humankind Program number 201. The executive producer is David Freudberg. This is Humankind. To hear more episodes of Humankind, you can subscribe to our free podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast player. A new episode each week. The podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you enjoy this program, be sure to leave us a kind review at iTunes and Stitcher. If you want to support the program, please visit humanmedia.org. And at the top of the homepage, click on How You Can Help. Again, our web address is humanmedia.org. Thanks.